How can we unlock math moments in our classrooms while not taking up all of our precious time? That's what we're talking about today in Episode 8 of the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. We spoke to Kat Rianne Vance, a teacher of over 25 years from Charlottesville, Virginia, who took part in our online workshop this past fall. And because of her determination to make math moments that matter for her students, she's had many recent successes in her classroom, and we wanted to share them with you, our fellow math moment makers, on how she took action and made that happen. Secure your earbuds, drop your phone in your pocket, and enjoy this uplifting conversation with Kat Rianne Vance, bring on the intro music. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are two math teachers who, together, with you, the community of educators worldwide, want to build and deliver math lessons that spark engagement, fuel learning, and ignite teacher action. Welcome to episode number eight, Unlocking Math Moments, a math mentoring moment with Katrienne Vance. Let's not waste any more time. Here's our discussion with Katrienne. Okay, we are here with Katrien Vance. Katrien, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what do you teach, how long you've been teaching, just basically about your story? Sure. I am from the middle of Virginia, so near Charlottesville, Virginia, but much smaller town. And I teach seventh and eighth graders in a little school that goes from nursery school through eighth grade. And it's such a small school that when they find out you're comfortable doing something, then they have you teach it. So uh, I started off life as an English teacher, but I now do English, history, math, and music at this school. And I've been there for about 25 years now. So I've been teaching about 32 years. Yeah. Awesome. 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 So currently I teach Algebra 1 to my 7th and 8th graders, but I've done everything from 5th grade math through 8th grade math and then pre-algebra and algebra. Oh, beautiful. And what made you want to become a teacher? You know, was it something that uh, you sort of knew when you were young or was it something maybe a little later? Uh, what was inspiring to get you into the field of education? It was pretty much a guarantee because both my parents were teachers. They were English teachers and I actually grew up on the campus of a school. So I played in classrooms and I was surrounded by school all the time and loved it. So in college, I student taught in the summers just to make sure that I could actually do this thing that I assumed I was going to do. And I fell in love with it. So it's been doing it ever since. Yeah. Awesome. I was, uh, you know, it reminds me, I, my father's a teacher and uh, we're a retired teacher now, but I remember always thinking that I wasn't going to be a math teacher. <laughs> and, uh, and I ended up going into math from high school and, you know, doing a degree in math. And I, it sounds like, you know, similar to you that I did one co-op job in a summer term where I tutored math at a local college. And then that changed for me. I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to switch majors again. And now I'm going <laughs> to so I was in computer science to start and I switched to physics. You know, I was all over the place for the first year and a half until I was like, okay, I like this. I think I'm going to pursue this route and uh, history there for sure. Yeah. I don't really know what anybody else does for a job. Like I don't yeah. get any other schedule. I live on an academic schedule my whole life. And I always joke that I don't know what office people do. Like, how do you know 
what to do when you walk into the office. Yes, what do you no do clue. first? I know. When does the break bell go? I have right. Exactly. Maybe I could just go to the bathroom when I want. Like, <laughs> it's interesting because my wife is also a teacher, so uh, very, you know, kind of similar to your parents. So where both parents were teachers, and actually my kids go to the same school that my wife teaches at. So she drives them in, and you know, it's just around the corner. They're there with her, you know, before school, and they're there with her after school as she's doing her prep and they're, you know, doing their, their little tinkering around in the classroom and, you know, either doing some of their own reading or creating more work for my wife by, you know, taking out (laughs) games and so forth. So curious whether they follow in our footsteps, similar to your case here. Sure. Yeah. Well, we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we didn't ask you this question. I think you've answered this question before, but can you just answer this one here with us now? Like, What is your most memorable math moment? So this could be a math moment that you had in your own schooling, or it could even be, you know, you as a teacher. But uh, when we say math class, what pops into your mind <laughs> that's been sticking with you? Uh, it could be a positive moment. It could be even a negative moment. I think you know our moments, but uh, let, fill us in on yours. Well, There's one that isn't quite a moment, but it was a whole year of having a high school teacher who spoke super fast. She just drank a ton of coffee and she talked so fast and I had no, you know, I'm writing as fast as I can and I did okay in the class, but just remember thinking like, I will never teach like that, you know, that idea. Mm -hmm. But you will drink as much coffee as that teacher. (laughs) (laughs) No, I won't even do that. And then another was in calculus class. My teacher would, he made up a place. He would say, in calculus land, a conical reservoir is draining at the rate of, and I will just, I'll always remember that. I can't do differential equations, but I remember the conical reservoir was draining at a particular rate. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, we're wondering, uh, while we're on the phone here, you know, as teachers ourselves, and uh, I've recently come out of the classroom doing a a consulting role, but we've all experienced challenges and struggles throughout our careers. And we're wondering, is there anything on your mind lately that uh, we might be able to kind of work through together uh, while we have you here on the line? Actually, what I would love to tell you guys is about successes, if I can. Um, Sure. (laughs) Sure, that sounds sounds great. I just had a colleague over the holiday break ask me for some help. And I was just, I was so excited to talk to somebody about this because I have completely changed my approach to teaching math this year. And it comes out of your workshop, originally out of your workshop, what I thought I was going to do was be able to create big problems, like big lesson plans that would have these long, engaging, interesting problems. And what it actually is, it's not that at all. It's realizing that it's an entirely different approach to every day in the class. Like there doesn't have to be a special problem that I'm looking up and using, but it's that, for example, if I want to teach inequalities, the approach is I have to start with a situation, not with vocabulary, not with any kind of, I don't know, definitions or where we might think we have to start and pre-teach and do building blocks. But I just say to the kids, there's this construction elevator and it can only hold 4,400 pounds. And I've got these bricks and they're 42 pounds what's the most bricks I can put on this elevator? Go. Mm-hmm. And the kids are like, what? You know, what? <laughs> what do you mean you have a construction elevator? But they just go from there and I don't tell them anything. And that's brand new. To, and it's a little bit scary, but there's always some moment where a kid goes, 
well, we could just, and then they unlock the whole thing for themselves in this incredibly magical way. And then all I do is tell them what the name is for what they just did or what the symbol is that they use to write that down. But they already knew how to do it or they talked their way through it. And so it doesn't feel hard or foreign. It feels like, oh, that was my language. That was me. That's my method. And so we just finished right before the break, absolute value inequalities, which have always been a nightmare. Like, why do you flip the inequality sign? And how come there are two equations? And I've never done, felt like I've done a good job. It was the easiest time I've ever had teaching it because it just flowed out of, all right, say you want to be a featherweight boxer. You have to weigh within four pounds of 126 pounds. What do you have to weigh? And they all knew how to do the math. So the math wasn't hard. Like they know, obviously that's 122 to 130 pounds. But I said, okay, but let's figure out how you would write that down. And it was engaging and interesting and not scary and not foreign at all to them. So when my colleague asked, she was under the same misimpression that I was that you have to like find these elaborate problems and sort of stage them and, you know, have it be I don't know, a lot of work. And also right. you have to find the right, exactly the right problem for the lesson that you're trying to teach. So, you know, I would have to search the internet for an absolute value inequality problem that someone had made up for me. And I said, no, you just have to start with the situation mm-hmm. and then let the kids figure it out and tell them what they've just done and then give it the right language, you know, or the, so that they'll know it again when they right. see it. And the most exciting part of all of this is that when we go to do, I don't use the textbook anymore, A, which is very exciting. But what I will use it for is to check us, like to take a quiz or to look at the unit test. The questions that are easiest for the kids are the word problems. When does that ever happen, right? The terrifying word problems. They're like, oh, we right. know how to do this because that's where we started. Unheard of. That's not where yeah. we ended. It's where we started. So oh, yes. it's been incredibly exciting. Yeah. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here, and I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12, setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. That, that's amazing, uh, amazing stories. Here. I, if I had to, could I maybe say back to you what I think I heard and you tell yes, me whether yeah. I heard it correctly, but 
at the beginning, you had mentioned starting with a situation. So like some sort of context or storyline that would sort of spark that curiosity and then allowing students to kind of tinker with it. And I'm assuming that that story, although you haven't necessarily had to go to the internet to find Robert Kaplinsky's task on this idea, but you've come up with at least an idea based on the learning that you're hoping to pull out of that particular lesson and then consolidating that learning at the end. And that's where you sort of introduce the more formal language or maybe even some of the more formal notation and some of really the part where you get to do the teaching. Yeah, right. So what was intimidating was thinking that I have to either find or make up something like a Robert Kaplinsky task for every single day, like that every lesson needed that. And it turns out it doesn't have to be that exciting. I literally walked in the classroom when I knew I wanted to do like uh, rate time distance problems. I walked in the classroom and I said, imagine Alyssa gets up, she runs out the door. How fast does she run? And the kids go 15 miles an hour. And I was like, okay, she's super fast. So she runs out the door. An hour later, because we're so focused on math, we don't even pay attention. An hour later, Adam notices she's gone. He gets on his bicycle. He races after her. How fast does he go? 50 miles an hour. Okay, great. And I'm just writing this on the board. When will Adam catch Alyssa? They're totally hooked. They wanted to know. And so, you know, instantly a kid goes, well, in an hour, Alyssa went 15 miles. I said, how did you know that? And so then we could talk about what operation did you just do? Well, how did you know to multiply? And what two things did you multiply? And they had all of the tools at their disposal. And they really wanted to know, when will Adam catch Alyssa? <laughs> That's yeah. exciting to hear. I'm wondering, do you notice a difference in the mathematical discourse? Like when we think about the student voice and has there been any sort of changes since you sort of maybe, like what I'm hearing is maybe a less scripted approach Uh, While I'm sure in your mind, everything is scripted, you know what it is you want to do that day, but maybe to the students, their perception is it's not open the book to page whatever and, you know, do the first thing or here's the definitions we're going to need to relearn or learn before we actually do something interesting. (laughs) Have you noticed anything on that student voice side, that empowerment side of things? Yes. Well, here's the exciting thing is that, you know, in every class, there are like the kids who are good at math. And then there are the kids who are going to let the kids who are good at math do all the talking, right? Mm -hmm. And lead us through. And it's suddenly there is no distinction. Everybody has a voice in this because we're all, we're sort of just playing. And so it was, we were using, I think you guys showed me the pentomino exercise on Desmos. Was that mm-hmm, ring a bell? Mm-hmm, and yep. So we, we were playing with that and they were discovering that if they moved that pentomino, the sum went up by five and they had figured that out. And I asked some question and a girl, a very tentative young girl said, well, couldn't we just divide by five? And I literally had to stop traffic and say, what did you just say? And make her say it again. And that unlocked the whole key to how do we turn this blob of five blocks into something that we could turn into an, you know, an expression, an algebraic expression, and then an equation, and then learn how to solve that equation. And it was exactly what I think you guys said of then they wanted to know how to solve the equation. There was a reason to want to solve it instead of just now you're going to learn how to solve equations. But each time there's been a moment where it's come from an unexpected source It'll be a kid just offering a, what if we divide? Or Alyssa will go 15 miles or whatever it is. And it isn't just the kids who are, quote, good at math who Mm -hmm. are offering those ideas. Everybody gets to just 
try out ideas. And I saw this quickly, just the confidence, I guess, and the surprise. A girl said to me, I really love it that you give us problems and you don't tell us how to do them. And I said, you really love that? Like I was so surprised. And she said, no, I really love it. And it gave her the confidence because she knew that she didn't know how to do it. And that gave her the freedom to play. I mean, I just today handed them a sheet and said, I haven't taught you how to do this. Take it home and just muck around with it for a little while. And I said, so when you can't do number one, are you going to give up? And they said, no. And I said, why not? And they said, because we know we don't know how to do it. So there's just this like free pass to, I know I'm not supposed to know how, so that gives me license to figure it out for myself instead of feel bad when I don't know how to do it. Right. What if I actually did get it? Then it's like, whoa, look at that. You know, like I, I just did something pretty cool without having been told. And now there's no fear of me doing it wrong the way I was told because I haven't been told yet, you know? So it just gives them a little bit of that, you know, kind of dip their toes in a little bit and see and not be so fearful. So yes. Yeah. And we've experienced similar things when we've made that switch that it's such a wonderful thing that you can switch the learning instead of being at the front and talking, just asking them to come up with it first and just knowing what to look for and listening to what the students say, you know, it it changes the culture of your room. And did you notice that too? Like, Mm -hmm. as it changed your room culture, like what did your room look like before you made these changes? Like you said, you radically changed how you taught math. Can you maybe give us a snapshot of what of what your class looked like before you made some of these changes? Because I think some teachers out there are thinking or maybe wondering what that looked like and also comparing to what they're hearing from you right now. Sure. Well, we're, I teach at a very small, very informal school. So it's the kind of school where the kids call me by my first name. You know, So there's already a lot of informality, a lot of give and take, a community of learners in the classroom. But I still would have in the past scripted everything out. So if I thought I was going to teach word problems, you know, or distance speed time problems, and I did this actually, I typed out six pages of here's the things I need to say, here are the examples, here's the step-by-step of what you would do to solve this problem. And it was almost like right before I went in the classroom, I looked at it and I went, wait, stop, what are you doing? You know not to do this, just go in. And and that's when I said, Alyssa just ran out the door and Adam is going to chase her. So it would have looked like me very carefully paving the way so that there was nothing that could trip the kids up. So let me make sure I define this term for you. Let me make sure I show you what it looks like when it's written this way. Let me make sure I show you what to do when it's written this way. Let me make sure I show you, you know, every possibility so you can't ever feel lost. And I really thought that was my job. Is it fair to say that, uh, you know, I'm picturing myself teaching for the majority of my career and thinking like, I'm going to plan this lesson so well that I'm not going to get one question from the student. (laughs) And now when you think of it, the way you're describing now, it's almost like, how can I plan this lesson to elicit as many possible questions as I can to get as many kids talking as I possibly can and to really, you know, kind of not only engage them but and pull them in, but also to really like allow them to lead some of that learning in that direction, like you're saying, because if the kids are asking me these questions, then let's spend time on those questions because now they're the ones asking them. It's not me asking the kids to answer questions. It's them asking the questions. And now they're actually asking me for my help and my support. It kind of counter to the way I would have done things more traditionally, where I would give them answers to questions that they never had yet. 
<laughs> right, right. A good day was me teaching something and then saying, does that make sense? And then <laughs> nodding, right? Yeah, everybody yes? just sort yeah. of blankly nodding. Sure, sure. <laughs> Right, I'm not, they're never going to be the one to go, no, could you say it one more time? Or I don't understand. Whereas in this case, there's nothing to make sense because I haven't taught them anything. What I've done, like, for example, I also teach them history. And we just finished a game in the history class that had points in it. And so for percent change, I got to talk about the difference between their the points they started with and the points they ended with. And I said, how could you compare these? Of course, you could talk about the number of points and the way it increased, but what might be a better way so that we could compare all of the teams fairly? And they got to percentage and they've never heard of percent of change. But I said, how would you do that? What numbers do you need? And they instantly knew they needed the difference and then they needed to compare that to the original number. Like they derived the formula perfectly on their own and then I just wrote it on the board. Yeah, yeah. And then the the homework was, make up some questions. You've got all this data from the game, ask questions and solve those questions and then bring them in. And that's what we did in class today was answered their questions about the data from the game, all teaching them percent of change and all the different kinds of percentage problems you could think of, but generated all from something they were really curious about because it was their own class data. Very cool. You mentioned when you were talking about the way you used to teach compared to now, I'm wondering what was the tipping point that made you like, I need to make this change or like, what's the story there for us to understand? Well, over the summer, I did the virtual math summit and watched a lot of math. I think I watched almost every single one because I was trying to take notes for my colleagues as well. And the theme over and over was this idea of strip away all the pre-teaching. So there were examples of just terrible math problems from textbooks. There was one a guy showed that was eight kids go out to play. How many mittens will they need? So this was for much younger Mm -hmm. kids, right? Mm -hmm. But then the textbook walked the children through, like, assume each child has two hands. Assume they will, you know, it's, it was amazing how much yeah, extra. Got to be politically correct. You got to make sure yeah. you state all those things. <laughs> That's right. So that theme really resonated with me of just take away all of that stuff that they're telling them to do and let the kids figure out how would I solve this? We've always been at the school, we've always been really honoring of different methods, different ways of arriving at an answer. But there's, I had never this explicitly thought about just ask the question without all of the lead up to it. So I knew I wanted to do that, but I didn't totally trust that it would work. And I heard when my colleague asked me over the holiday to lunch, I heard that same doubt in her voice of, yeah, but how do you know they're going to get there? And so for me, the tipping point was that moment when using those pentominoes, when one of my really shy students said, let's divide by five. And I was like, oh my gosh. They will do it. You just have to give them the space and you have to just be quiet long enough and not feel like, are you getting it yet? Are you getting it yet? Are you getting it yet? Just Mm -hmm. let them mess around and eventually somebody's going to come up with something. And each time, if you trust the process, in my experience, they've gotten there and they've taught, we've taught each other exactly what my goal was that I would have taught them before. 
Yeah, isn't it? I find it also amazing when I decided that I was going to do that too. Like I was going to let them show me what they knew first and then I can step in if I needed to. Like what's right. the harm if we represent that problem to them and you say go and they start to come up with strategies and, and they're working and, and you know, they get stuck or they're not sure what to do next or they're at a point where they need some gaps filled in. Then you can step in and show them some of that stuff. Like there's definitely something to say, be said for letting kids show us what they know first. And I never did that for so many <laughs> years. I assumed they knew nothing. Peter Lillidall has a great quote. And, you know, he says, we were always planning our lessons, assuming kids couldn't think or they wouldn't think. And, uh, <laughs> And all my lessons were planned that way. I mapped everything out so that there was no success. It sounds like you were too. And when I decided to let them show me some stuff, they know so much stuff. They know a lot. I would never gave them credit for it in the beginning. Well, and something very interesting too, you know, kind of very closely tied to this idea is something that I know I did when I was in the classroom and I felt this very same way. But when I go, whether it's working in my own district or working with teachers in other districts, when I challenge them to do a problem in their classroom, you know, here's the topic that we're going to focus on for this workshop. And I challenge them to go back and take that task or something like it, and they can modify it however they choose to go back into the classroom and do it. And the number one thing I'll hear from many teachers, and I, again, I see myself saying the same thing back uh, only a handful of years ago is like, I haven't done that yet. Like we haven't mm, done that yes. or yeah. we did that a long time ago or like we, we've already done that unit. And what I'm trying to or hoping that over time we'll all see is that it's okay if they've never done it before. Because the reality is, is they probably have, right? If it's an idea that's not brand new to the curriculum that specific year, right. the reality is they've probably done it at some point. And if they can't even get started with it, then what does that say about the way we teach in general anyway, if students aren't able to sort of grasp or retain that new information. So for me, it's just like we should really be pushing this idea of using tasks as a way for students to learn and be introduced to new ideas, not as a, a way to sort of consolidate the learning later after I've right. done all the steps and procedures for them. It's like, let them have at it. And like you said, just muck around. And, you know, sometimes we're going to hit a rut and hey, that's fine. Let's, you know, we'll figure it out at that point. Or maybe students come out and it's like, wow, look at all this knowledge that they brought with them that I never used to respect when students came into the classroom. I just assumed that they were blank slates with no information in there, <laughs> you know, barely knew their name, you know, although sometimes they don't write their names on the, the top of any of the work, which uh, is a whole other story. So, you know, I'm wondering, I'm very curious about how is your colleague progressing? Like, have you felt like there's any successes there? And maybe your colleague might be at a very different place than you are based on, you know, you having the experiences in the virtual math summit with Christina Tondevolt in the summer mm -hmm. and all those fabulous presenters, you know, is your colleague sort of like sticking with it? Are you there kind of coaching along the side there trying to sort of root him or her on as they go along? Hey there, Math Moment Makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like, I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? 
Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, Do us this huge solid. Uh, We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. It's a great question. I need to do more of the rooting her along. I know she did the timers task. When will these timers all run out at the mm-hmm. same time? And I actually don't know how it went. I know she was doing it and she was in the yeah. middle of it. Um, I'd so be I need to, to, yeah, to hear that check, too. check back in and see because there is a level of just trusting, trusting, like you said, honoring what the kids do know, trusting that even if they don't do the lesson the way you thought they were going to do the lesson, there's going to be something that's learned from it. Mm -hmm. So for example, I did your stacking paper lesson, right? And I was thinking ratios and proportions and they weren't, they didn't go there at all. They were, they went to multiply and I was like, okay, (laughs) you can (laughs) multiply it, but how great. And that's allowed. Yeah. That's in the real world. No one's going to say you're only allowed to solve this problem this particular way. So great. Have it be about problem solving in that moment. What I love about that is when the students do solve it in a different way than you anticipated or within each other, they have multiple solutions hanging out there is when you, if your lesson goal, and this is the way I like to use these tasks is I'll have that lesson or learning goal in my mind of where we want to go. For me, I think I used that same lesson of Kyle's to solve proportions. And I know that I wanted to tackle solving proportions that day, but when they solved it with multiplying and doing some unit rates, I loved that we can tie, say, the solving proportion solution, even though no one in the room did it that way, (laughs) we can go, okay, let's look at it in this light. Like we've been working on solving proportions in the past. Let's solve a proportion this way. And this can now be the teachable moment. And what I love about showing them that solution is they get to see all the numbers that they, those same numbers that they had are popping up in Mm -hmm. that same solution I'm showing. And they're now making connections to the proportion work we did, you know, a couple of days before or a week before. And also the unit rates work that they did all in the same problem. Like they get to make those connections. They're doing it on their own, but then you get to make them explicit, you know, like look at how similar these solutions are. Like there's nothing wrong with what you did. It's awesome. Somebody else might've done it differently And they're very similar, you know? What hit home for me was back about, it would have been a handful of years now when John and I first co-presented. It was probably one of our first times presenting. And in the middle, like we had obviously talked about the presentation, we had done all these things and we used the stacking paper problem as one of the exemplars, but we weren't going to actually consolidate the task. It was like just a quick sort of like snippet about curiosity and so forth. And Mm -hmm. I went on to say what I used that task for, the learning goal that I used that task for, just the look in John's face, like I still remember, he like looked over at me, he's like, that's what you use that task for? He's like, I, I used it for a direct variation linear relationship. So, you know, Y equals MX type thing. And John's sort of looking at me like, you know, I got two heads and he's like, oh, I used it for like solving proportions. And just like at that point, it was like at the time we were confused, but then later we sort of came back together and realized like, oh my gosh, like that's exactly what we want to happen in our classroom. Like we want to elicit students that are leveraging other ideas 
ideas and making connections to different parts of the curriculum. So it's like, oh, you're doing that for algebra. I'm doing this for a proportional relationship and somebody else is using, you know, doing some type of division over here. Like Mm -hmm. there's all these different strategies that give us not only an opportunity to make connections, but then also to allow kids to actually kind of recall some of the other content that we did in the past that maybe we haven't seen in a little while. And now it's like brought back to the front or the forefront and, you know, students get to go like, oh yeah, like, oh, I must be able to do it that way if it's really just the same as doing it that way. And for me, that was a big aha moment uh, when that happened. And we were just sort of shocked that we had been using this task independently in our classrooms. And well, I won't say completely separate because obviously they're very closely Mm -hmm. connected, but very different parts of our course. Yeah. And I'm sure this has happened in your classroom where while you're working on proportions, say, the kids would know to solve something as a proportion. But once you go to another chapter and there's a problem that comes up, they think that they have to do it in a different way because you're not in the proportion chapter anymore. Right, right. Format the brain. Here's a problem. You pick the way you want to solve it. You figure out what's the best strategy that works for you, that's most comfortable for you or you know, most efficient for you. And I think mm-hmm. that's a much more important thing to teach kids than Definitely. just how to solve a proportion or how to do a linear relationship. Right. It's a conversation I've had with many teachers in the past about, uh, and I was the, you know, the question, the example I always bring up is, is it more important to factor or knowing when to factor? Like when you want to factor, right? And sure. everyone, you know, everyone wants to say, or everyone does say, knowing when to factor is more important, which I totally agree with. But we spend so much time on hammering factor, 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 but uh, <laughs> which we definitely need to do. It's, it's just a skill that I value more highly than the other. Yeah. So the other thing I want you guys to know is the way that this has spread into other aspects of my teaching, because I do get to teach history and English and music. And so in my humanities course, for example, right now, my team teacher and I are doing a couple of days about the 80s because we can. So (laughs) love it. Love it. So uh, I said, just show a clip, just show a clip of Breakfast Club or War Games or, you know, something like that. And then yeah, ask the kids, what do you notice? And what do you wonder? And the other teacher was like, what? You know, because she hasn't done any of this. And I said, just don't, don't, no setup. Don't tell them anything. Just show it and then ask and have them notice, oh my gosh, the phone has a cord. Or, you know, what is all the different things about technology? What's that thing he's sticking into the computer? You know, there was so much that let us then talk about things we wanted to talk about in terms of the themes of technology or the Cold War or whatever. But we got the kids to ask the questions first. So it's been really fun to bring that into other aspects of teaching as well. Well, that's awesome. I thought when you said, uh, you know, 80s, I thought you were going to pull out the mullet ratio problem. If you've never, uh, if you've <laughs> yeah. never seen that problem, you definitely want to check out the show notes. I will add it in. I just made an, a note in our doc here. Uh, Matt Baudry and John Stevens, classroom chef, they, you know, do a really funny rendition of that one. And I know that task has been such a a wonderful hit for so many teachers, including myself. Um, You know, one last thing we wanted to ask you about, like, so it sounds like you've had like huge wins over the past little while. And, you know, we so appreciate uh, you sharing with us some of the effect that doing the online workshop with John and I this past fall has had. 
we're wondering, are there any like little, little challenges that you're still kind of working on or, or maybe even just um, thinking of like your next step? Like what's your next move in terms of your own professional learning journey? You've been at this thing, like same school for 25 years, uh, teaching for 32. Like I'm so impressed that going for over 30 years and you are still clearly a lifelong learner. So there's probably something going on there that you have as something that you want to kind of, you know, put a thumb on and see how you might be able to, you know, influence it in your classroom. I think actually in terms of this math specifically, it would be spreading this to more of my colleagues and really convincing them that this is the way to go and having the confidence that they could let the they could start with the situation. They could start not by paving that way as smoothly as possible, but let there be bumps and things that the kids discover and work with along the way. Really, all of this came out of trying to figure out how to teach fractions better. That was the germ of it, of just why don't kids get fractions by the time they get to me? Why are, They're still terrified. They will always change a fraction to a decimal. Mm -hmm. So it's been a couple of years of me exploring, trying to find that. And through that, I found these other videos and resources. And then that has led me to just make this shift in general that I think will also have an effect on fractions. So it's convincing. And again, as I said, we're a really small school. So there's just some of my teammates convincing them to use the same approach. And I don't think it'll be very hard. None of them loves the textbook or you know is right. wedded to any particular approach, but it's just trusting. And I think the to answer your other question in terms of the challenge or what I'm still working on, it would be that my biggest fear or the concern is covering everything. And covering everything is in air quotes, right? How do you satisfy the parents that you have covered the Algebra 1 curriculum? Because I still find myself saying that we've covered Chapter 1, we've covered Chapter 2, we've covered Chapter 3 in terms of what the material is that I know we need to do from years of teaching it that way. And we're on chapter four right now, and we're not going to get to chapter 13, which we, we never do. I don't know how anybody ever does. But how do you give the time for this process, trust the process, let the kids muck through it, and cover the curriculum? Yeah, yeah that's a big one. Big one for Ready, sure. Ready, go. <laughs> yeah. What we can definitely do as well for the show notes, and uh, we won't have time to dive too deeply into it in this particular conversation, but uh, we'll add a link to uh, some of our spiraling resources that we've put together. And, and that is a big challenge for many of us as you know, we try to think differently about how we're teaching. And like, if we go back and even just reference how much information students are bringing with them, that sometimes you know, we can dive into an idea and maybe not completely unpack the entire idea. So let's say it's a unit and we can right. move on to another and at least allow us to enter into some learning in all of that curriculum, the, the expectations. I know here in Ontario, oftentimes the units or the chapters that are in our textbooks don't necessarily match our curriculum as well. So that's another big one that I would recommend for those listening to just make sure that, you know, oftentimes we do what the textbook's showing us to do. And what we realize way later is that, oh my gosh, there was lots in there that actually wasn't in my particular standards or my curriculum mm -hmm. expectations. Mm -hmm. So 
it is a big one unpacked, but we will definitely add the link to the spiraling resources for those listening. And hopefully we'll be able to touch base with you soon on, you know, how you're making out with that process and see if maybe there's some ideas that you've tried in order to kind of maybe opening up your units a little bit so that you can be a little more free flowing and not feel so tied to like unit four has got to be done before I can get on to unit five. Because I know that's right. the way I always used to feel. And uh, right. it's very empowering once you can kind of break free of those silos. Sure. Well, we want to thank you for being here with us. Uh, but before we go, we would love to hear about your biggest takeaway. Now, this could be, uh, since you are a student of our online workshop, it could be your biggest takeaway from the workshop, but also could be the biggest takeaway from just this conversation that we've had with you. What would you say that would be? Okay. My biggest takeaway is that my job as a teacher is not to make sure that nobody ever makes a mistake or doesn't know something in the classroom. And I used to, like I said, just try to sort of pave or cushion or pad the walls or do whatever it was so that everybody's experience was so positive that that would equal being good at math because in class I felt successful. And so I guess what I've done is redefined success in the classroom. Success now is asking questions and wrestling with ideas and figuring things out rather than smoothly going through class without stumbling. Hmm. So that's been a huge takeaway for me. Awesome. That's a very insightful takeaway, I think. Very nice to hear for sure. Yeah, that productive struggle, I could definitely hear that throughout the conversation. Uh, And to me, it was clear that's something that uh, you've definitely embraced. And I'm sure your students are very, very thankful for all of the work. And as I mentioned, being a veteran teacher and just having that open learning stance, I think is the best thing we could possibly do for all of our students because there's always something new for all of us to learn. And I want to just thank you for that being so committed. And uh, Hmm. thank you again for being with us here on uh, the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. We are so excited to uh, share it with the world. Would it be okay if we were to maybe touch base with you in six to nine months, see how things are going, maybe check in on your colleagues, see how how she's doing and be able to kind of come back and, you know, share anything new that you're working on. Absolutely. That'd be wonderful. Fantastic. We definitely want to thank you uh, for your time and uh, we hope you have a good rest of your evening. Great. Thanks so much. Well, there you have it. Thanks to Kat and Vance for joining us today. We're looking forward to bringing her back on in a few months to see how she'll implement those big takeaways. This was the third Math Mentoring Moment episode with many more to come where we will have a conversation with a member of the Making Math Moments That Matter community like you who's working through a challenge and together we'll brainstorm ideas and next steps to help overcome it. If you want to join us on the podcast for an upcoming Math Mentoring Moment episode where you can share a big math class struggle, you can apply over at makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash mentor. As always, both John and I learn so much from these Math Mentoring Moment episodes, but in order to ensure we hang on to this new learning, we must reflect on what we've learned. An excellent way to ensure this learning sticks is to reflect and create a plan for yourself to take action on something you've learned here today. A great way to hold yourself accountable is to write it down and even better, share it with someone, your partner, colleagues, 
or with the Math Moment Maker community by commenting on the show notes page, tagging at Make Math Moments on social media, or in our free private Facebook group, Math Moment Makers K through 12. Another great way you can take action is to do a deep dive with us in our six module online workshop each spring and fall, where we coach you step by step on how to create and modify your lessons to engage students build deeper understanding of math, and promote resilience in problem solving. And if taking a deep dive alone isn't enough, the workshop is accredited for two to four PD credit hours through Brandman University. If you're interested in learning more about registering, be sure to check out makemathmoments.com forward slash online workshop. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash online workshop. In order to ensure you don't miss out on any new episodes as they come out each and every Monday morning, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform by simply searching for us or using these quick links. For iTunes, go to makemathmoments.com forward slash iTunes. For Google Play, go to makemathmoments.com forward slash play. For Spotify, go to makemathmoments.com forward slash Spotify. And quick links will work for most other popular podcasting platforms as well. Also, if you're liking what you're hearing, please share this podcast with a colleague and help us reach a wider audience by subscribing. And even better, leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you to the many five-star ratings and positive reviews thus far. Show notes and links to resources from this episode can be found at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode eight. Again, that's makemathmoments.com forward slash episode eight. Don't miss our next episode when we'll be inviting another friend from the Math Moment Maker community for episode nine, Planning with Intentionality, a math mentoring moment with Kirsten Dick. We wanted to share with you one last big announcement. We are holding live free webinars at the end of this month. January 25th, 26th, and 27th of 2019, we're sharing four strategies to help students start math problems and stick with them. Let's create students who know they can think and act like a mathematician. We have three different tailored webinars for you to choose from based on your teaching role. One for grades three to six, one for grades seven to 10, and one for coaches, administrators, and consultants. So if you're listening to this in January 2019, then head over to makemathmoments.com forward slash webinar. That's makemathmoments.com forward slash webinar to register. Registration closes January 25th, 2019 at noon Eastern Standard Time. You won't want to miss these four strategies we're sharing. If it's after January 2019 when you're listening to this, hit up that link and we'll be sure to share with you some good learning goodies there for you to gobble up. We'll make sure it's worth your while. Well, until next time, I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And high fives for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But 
that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, and accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook after completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.